Hello and welcome to the Three Wheel Podcast. This is your host, Danny Ryan. I'm here with Matthew Chestnut. Hey, Matthew, how you doing? Hello again, Danny. Hello again. It's another quarter. It is. Good to see you. Same here. Good to catch up on things. So today is, I would classify today's topic maybe would be the devils in the details or something. That's a good way to categorize Along it. those lines, which is, I'm, we're just going to catch up on a project that you um, have been working on or planning out, I'll put it that way, and it, it's a project where... We're working with a, a larger client, and um, we're looking at upgrading from SharePoint 2010 to 2013. 2013. Yeah. Wait, it's 2017. Understood. What's but up with you guys? You know how these big enterprise uh, companies work; they move rather slowly. Uh-huh. So we're 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 finally upgrading to 2013, and I just wanted to talk through. I think some of this, in re- reality, this is this is. Uh, what you're going through, a lot of people are going through when they're looking at going to SharePoint online. Absolutely. Which is, so this is a pertinent topic for for a lot of people and, and preparing themselves for the future. So so give me a little bit of the backstory on this whole thing and let's talk this thing through. Well, this is a, a project that we've worked on over the last five years plus, uh, this particular application. Mm-hmm. And it's going through another iteration because of the enterprise desire to move to SharePoint 2013 on-premise. Okay. And you know, back in the old days, quote unquote, of SharePoint 2010, there was a certain set of best practices. Um, things like sandboxed event receivers or sandboxed processes. This is where code that used to run on the farm in SharePoint 2007, now the IT group had the ability to sandbox it or put a wrapper around it, which prevented applications from running wild and bringing down the farm. So in the SharePoint 2010 days, sandboxed processes were the way to go. And that's how we implemented this particular solution. And the whole idea about a sandboxed process is you're adding a list item to a SharePoint list. And SharePoint lists are ubiquitous. I mean, that is the thing. Along with documents, list data is very, very important. And the idea is is that when this list item is created on an application that's non-trivial, you may want to do other actions. The actions may be create a notification record, write some data to another list, do some processing on this data to um, make it more enterprise ready. And the event receivers were awesome in the sense that when a list item was added, updated, or in the process of being added or updated, these events were fired and code could run. In the olden days, back in the days of ASP.NET, you know, when we had just ASP.NET or even ASP and we depended on share, uh, uh, SQL Server, uh-huh. we had uh, triggers, stored procedures that would execute when a database item was added, updated, etc. So this is a, a similar concept. So it was great. We had the ability to run code. Well, now here comes SharePoint 2013. And more importantly, here comes Microsoft changing their best practices. And they're really making these best practice decisions based on online, SharePoint Online, Office 365, just like you mentioned. They don't want code running on their farms in the online cloud because that would be a maintenance nightmare. How do you segregate it? How do you keep it secure with the variety of tenants? So they've come out and said that sandbox online in the cloud is not allowed at all. They're on-premise in 2013 SharePoint, and even SharePoint 2016 is allowed, so they are still allowing this user code host process, aka the sandbox, to be configured and run on-premise, but this particular company, our customer, decided that they wanted to deprecate it now. So in other words, they don't want to wait until the application or the capability goes away. They said, let's get rid of it now. Well, 
that's a great opportunity for us to figure out how are we going to solve this problem now. Okay. We have all this code. We have all this business logic. What are we going to do with it? Oh, and by the way, this particular application was written using InfoPath, which is yet another technology that Microsoft has deprecated. Still works. It'll probably still work through you know the year 2025, but the customer wants to get rid of that technology. So now we start moving into some of this newer technology that you may have talked with other three-wheel consultants about, things such as Angular, yep. JavaScript frameworks, yep. and how SharePoint really participates very well in that world. And they've got SharePoint, Microsoft SharePoint has got frameworks now, APIs, the patterns and practices one is one I'm thinking of currently that provides a great API for giving you JavaScript access to your SharePoint data. And of course with JavaScript it's a programming language. You can do whatever you want with it. So here we go. So we started <laughs> evaluating our choices and we're trying to keep the customers pocketbook in mind. We certainly in our grandiose world we could change this thing and make it do all kinds of stuff but we want to keep it affordable for them. So we looked at look we looked at remote event receivers. So this yeah. is a new technology that we haven't used in this particular situation but the remote event receivers gives the IT group the ability to stand up a server mm -hmm. that gives us some WCF endpoints that we can then call from a SharePoint list item event so instead of the event calling code that runs on the SharePoint farm itself, even if it's sandboxed, it runs somewhere else. And it does some of the same things that it would do if it were running on the farm. It has the same client connectivity. It could read list items, update list items, etc. Here's where that got to be a little um, not desirable for us. Uh -huh. The remote event receivers work great, except when they don't. And here's how they can not work. For whatever reason, let's say the, the connection between our SharePoint farm and the remote event receiver server is disabled. It's it's down or whatever. The challenge is the uh, the call to the remote event receiver fails, but it silently fails. And that of course is the worst thing that can happen to a developer. Why does my application data not look right? Uh, we don't know because it silently fails. So what you're saying is if a remote event receiver fires in a forest and nobody hears. <laughs> right. Does anybody care? Does anybody care? Yes, the customer cares. Yes, the customer cares. Yeah. So did that, it really happen? Did, did it, it really happen? Fire? Yeah. If so it that's, fires in a forest and nobody hears it, did it really happen? So know. that's the challenge. When data does not get updated and it's supposed to be updated by this thing and this thing didn't fire, what was the problem? So uh -huh. now, of course, we could add logging on our Rebone event receiver so we would know if it got called, here's why it failed. But if it never gets called, we have no control over that. Okay. Yes, we could look at the ULS logs and there might be some information there. But once again, this is an enterprise solution. We don't have access to those logs. Those right. logs are generating tons of data. Too hard to wade, wade through. And the other challenge with the remote event receivers is that there's a like a 30-second timeout. In other words, it'll give you 30 seconds to do your work and you better be done or else it'll just say, thank you very much. We're moving on to the next thing. Now, that wouldn't have been a problem. We could have spawned another uh, tasks that would run asynchronously, you know, in the background without any user interaction. But that that turned us away from remote remote event receivers just because they're not guaranteed, or at least the guarantee was very very loosely coupled. Okay. So then we started working backwards and said, okay, well, what about workflows? What can workflows do for us? In fact, we were using workflows pretty heavily with this existing uh, solution. the The challenge was workflows work great. But the workflow language is a little bit restricted. But in the old days of SharePoint 2010, when we could write and we were allowed to write um, sandboxed code, we were writing custom actions on event on events that a workflow would fire as well. So the workflow action could simply be send notification. 
And the workflow action was custom code written in the sandbox, written mm -hmm. in C-sharp, deployed on the server, that would take that one-line workflow command, send notification, and it would figure out whatever it needed to do. It would find out, oh, what type of notification do you have here? Who does it need to go to based on all these criteria? So once again, workflows are great, but they're limited in the language. They're limited in their ability. They can certainly update list item, the current list item. They can create other list items. But if you start talking about program logic, it kind of falls down. Okay. Okay. So we moved away from that. So basically now we're going back to, okay, we got JavaScript. We have the ability to communicate with JavaScript. We have to change this form anyway from InfoPath to Angular 2. Let's just write this logic in JavaScript itself. And that's what, we, that's what we're doing. And that's going to actually work out very well. Um, the uh, Angular development using SharePoint as the back-end database is working just as we expect it would. It does, our code really doesn't matter where it's writing to, although we are using the SharePoint library. That could easily be a SQL Server library. Uh, we could write the data elsewhere. We're sticking with, obviously, the SharePoint solution because the data structures are in place and all the supporting lists are in place to support this main form. And that brings me to, well, some of these supporting list items, these little lookup tables, yep. also have business logic. And we're not wanting to rewrite those. We were heavily leveraging SharePoint's ability, list items, add, edit, delete, view, mm -hmm. filter, all that stuff we get right out of the box. We still want to use that. We don't want to rewrite those. So what we're doing with those scenarios is we have to participate in the event model of a standard SharePoint list form. And a sta standard SharePoint list form gives you the ability with JavaScript, you inject the JavaScript into the page using a couple of different techniques, but it's pretty standard. And we, I think we even have some blog posts on our uh, threewheel.com that talks about using jQuery with SharePoint forms. Yeah. But the idea there is there's a pre-save action. And on pre-save, we can do certain things like populate data values on a list, or quite frankly, we can do whatever we want. But that is a pre-save action. We also have the when the document form is loaded. We have that action. So if we have some fields we want to hide or show or pre-populate, great, we have all those abilities. Here's where it came, uh, came to be a tricky scenario, is after the item has been saved, and we want to do some other actions on that item, how do we do that? Well, our traditional way has been event receivers, but we can't do that. Our other way has been workflows, but we don't have the ability to do them as robustly. So what we're doing is we're also using the ability on a SharePoint list form with new and edit, where on the save and or cancel for that matter, you can redirect to another form. By default, it's simply going to close the existing form and take you back to the list page where it was launched from. What we're going to do is, tr is um, transfer control from the page, the new or edit form, and go to another page, and that page is going to have the logic that'll do whatever it is we need to get done, whether it's add additional list data to other lists or create notification records, what have you. So in, in essence, we're daisy-chaining the um, application. So once we press save mm -hmm. here, we use a standard out-of-the-box SharePoint technique of redirecting to another page, mm -hmm. and that page is going to pick up the the uh, the work and do whatever remains to be done. Now I've talked to other people about this. Did you think 10 years ago that your your career would you would ha be writing so much JavaScript? Well, it's funny. Yeah. And Angular's based off of JavaScript. Yeah, in fact, right? you know, yeah, JavaScript so. was kind of invented to help out the browser experience. Yes. Do some things tweaking the DOM, <laughs> the, the object model, so you could hide show fields in a programmatic mm -hmm. fashion. Uh -huh. Oh, and it's become the the language du jour, if you will. It's uh -huh. it's 
And we're actually using, with the, in the Angular world, we're using the TypeScript flavor on top of it. TypeScript's just a, a layer. It's, a, it's another language that uh, is, it's an industry standard, but it transpiles itself uh, at compile time or transpile time. It converts TypeScript code into JavaScript code, but TypeScript code gives us a little bit of language niceties like uh, validation of data types and certain constructs that what end up happening is when it's transpiled, it converts itself into JavaScript, which runs, of course, on every browser, uh, but it makes the developer life a little bit easier. I don't think I've heard of transpiled. Transpiled, yeah, that's, that's a, a new one for me. There's always nice. new buzzwords, right? Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll probably use that quite frequently. Yeah. Probably incorrectly, but you'll use it frequently. <laughs> I'll use it as a marketing term. <laughs> right. see that transpile your business. <laughs> you transpile your business. <laughs> so probably somebody listening to this is probably thinking what, what I was thinking as well, which is why aren't you using Azure for this? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Um, Azure would be an excellent solution. Um, and even SharePoint 2016, on-premise would be a little bit better because it's got some extra capabilities in regards to events uh, like webhooks that are more guaranteed delivery, etc. Uh, out in the cloud, it would yeah. be it would be great. We can we could have used remote event receivers even in the cloud. We were talking about using remote event receivers hosted locally, and there's two different ways: a low trust and a high trust. How you configure all this stuff, but it would have worked. Uh, in this particular scenario, we're not using the cloud because the the customer is not using the cloud right now. Okay. They may be moving to that in the future, but we've got other customers who are cloud based, and we're doing some of the same techniques that we're talking about. The challenge here is we have a working application, works great, has been in use for five plus years, and the uh, IT group is, is changing the infrastructure slightly and they're putting new rules in place. And so our business customers looking at us saying, well, why do we have to do this? And we're kind of saying, well, <laughs> we had meetings with all the parties involved, us, them, the business, and the IT group, so they could hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And so they understand it's, yeah. a, it's a business need. It's, it's, it's positioning themselves for the future. It's a little bit of pain right now, yeah. but we have a solution. There's always a way to fix a problem. I, I just I have this visual of, of the business coming to you and saying we need to do this and you're like oh that's not a p not a problem it's, it'll take a couple days to do that and then you get all these it's like it's almost like what i always joke around that i'm my part of my job is slowing everybody down around here i can just almost have this visual of somebody taking your arm and saying yeah but you can't use this and you can't use this you're absolutely right if if it, it it really is a standards and straightforward sharepoint 2010 to 2013 uh -huh. if we had all the same technologies yeah. in place which are still Available. Yes, they might be deprecated, but they're still supported. Yeah. If we'd have done that, if we'd had a, that ability, we would be done. It would be an easy upgrade. But what ends up happening is the changes we're making now, the next step is going to be so much easier. So if they're they, ready, they're getting ready for more cloud ready. Yeah. So they're, they're more so cloud it's, ready. It's, even though they're not even going to SharePoint 2016 or SharePoint Online, the next jump that they make, it'll be much yeah. easier. That will be a, take a couple days to. Yeah, make. and if we were doing this again, if they if they were coming to us brand new and said yeah. we want this application, we would not do it the way we've done it. Uh -huh. So we're we're in, we're trying to balance the technology that they have in place, the training that they've already done, the way the application works. What is the least amount of effort we can do to get this thing done in the new environment? Just a side note, since we're doing a lot of these, I mean, basically our applications are turning into little JavaScript applications. That probably makes them even, you know, where they're hosted in SharePoint, it, it, as people look at maybe looking at different platforms or moving to different 
platforms, it, it, I know there's the back end is different, mm-hmm. but it seems like it may mm-hmm. even get them into a, a situation where it's not, if it was all server-side code, then making that move is a big deal. But if it's all JavaScript, then it might be easier to look at different ways of hosting these applications. We've done some amazing things with SharePoint. Yeah. Uh, you know, our applications are really enterprise applications that we do, and we really leverage SharePoint to its full extent. We, we utilize its capabilities of data management as well as search and document management and all the policies and they have in place. But if a customer did have SQL Server and they wanted to use SQL Server because they had other enterprise applications that were using that, when we rewrite this application using JavaScript and its Angular-based forms, then we become more platform agnostic. And in many ways, that's what Microsoft is trying to do with SharePoint, is trying to make SharePoint fit better with that model. Uh, It's nice to be able to store data in SharePoint because you automatically get search and you get some of this other stuff. But quite frankly, you get that with Microsoft SQL Server as well. The search language is slightly different. The configuration is slightly different. With SharePoint, you get all these management tools that kind of come with it. But with these other platforms, you get similar similar things as well. Mm -hmm. So we've written some very complex applications, some very um, feature-rich applications in SharePoint. This new technology, this new model is going to uh, future-proof us to be able to, to div- deliver applications in the future regardless of the underlying infrastructure. What is the? I know I've heard people talk about the SharePoint framework and that sort of thing. How does that fit into this stuff? You're, you're, you're probably not utilizing it yet because it's not a... How does that fit into this? Here's the way, here's the, you know, I, my opinion as a developer, uh-huh. uh, SharePoint, or excuse me, Microsoft used to dictate to us, here's how things should be done. Okay. But we always questioned had they ever done this thing themselves? Because if they did, they would say, there's no way this would even work. Oh, that, oh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. But it works in a demo. I can yeah, do right. really kick ass. So something. I think what they're realizing <laughs> is that, wait a minute, they've tried to eat their own dog food, if you will. They've yeah. tried it themselves. Their consultants have come in and they're listening to them saying, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're saying do it this way, but have you ever tried to do it that way? It's hard to do. <laughs> so they're coming up with these frameworks to help with yeah. that. The, uh-huh. the patterns and practices, the SharePoint library, the, the, all these frameworks, the, the, the goal is to make it easy to incorporate user processes, user data inside the SharePoint platform. And so all this is great news for us yep. as developers. Cool. Cool. Anything else you want to This has been really interesting. It's kind of no, well, I was I this project I've been I've worked on in the past. So uh-huh. I, I'm a domain expert on this particular application. Uh-huh. I'm applying new technology that's new to me in uh-huh. certain areas, which is great. It's a great learning experience. I came off a more traditional enterprise application that was ASP.NET, Microsoft, uh-huh. SQL Server, etc. So it's nice getting into the modern world, if you will. It's right. nice doing this because I think it is going to be the future. Yeah. And it's this whole again. All this stuff will apply to other applications and moving to the cloud and talk. I, I just wonder in general what is. I, it may be just people will uh, start moving applications to the cloud when they need to rewrite them or when they sunset old applications. But it seems to me probably a lot of people are going through this which is, you know, they, they've got an older style application, they want to move it over to the cloud, and it's, you know, they're, you know, they're getting these, you know, well, it's going to take us three to six months to do this, and, they're, and you're just going to get the same thing that's on the cloud as what you have right now. How do you justify that? And that is a huge challenge, yeah, because you have a working application that looks a certain way, and you have to move it somewhere else, and it's going to be this big expense. One thing that's at least nice about this transition that this particular customer is doing and what we're doing as a company here at Three Wheel is we are getting our tool belt even bigger with more tools and solutions. We we like to come up with patterns and practices ourselves to help 
deliver solutions to the customers quickly. You know, we're not a think tank. We don't like to spend two or three years working on a solution. The customers yeah. want action yeah. now. Yeah. And we realize that. We're, we use agile processes in our um, project management in, because we know decisions get made, changes are absolute, changes are going to happen, and we have to be able to adapt. And yeah. so this whole thing that we're going through with this particular customer is kind of like you said, it's kind of like what's happening with the industry. But once you get over that initial hump, yeah. unless they take away JavaScript or whatever, <laughs> then we're really in trouble. We'll go back to COBOL. As long as, we, once we make this step, it'll be uh, smaller steps in the future. Yeah, yeah, interesting. This has been fascinating. Thank you for sharing what's going on. and. There's still they, the project hasn't. Uh, you, you're just in the planning phase. right We're in now? the middle of it. We okay. we've gone through a planning stage okay. and we've gone through the initial development. Okay. Uh, we're we're going gangbusters right now, getting things done. Awesome. Well, good luck. I look forward to getting an update in a couple of months here. And uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Good talking to you, Dan. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye bye.